On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Terry O'Daniel. He is the Director of Engineering focused on the Security Risk Compliance Team. He works at Instacart. We're going to be talking about uh, an interesting area, building high-performing engineering-focused GRC functions. And I think uh, Terry has a a unique background in the sense that um, he blends that engineering and security world because he was an engineer uh, to begin with, and uh, he now works in security. And we're going to be covering a few different areas, um, talking about compliance, uh, assurance, as well as how engineers um, can be helped in terms of when it comes to a lot of the compliance um, functions. Terry, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Amir. I, I'm really excited to talk to your audience uh, about one of my favorite subjects, which is how can we make the burden of compliance not so terrible on engineering and how help build good processes and good guidelines so that people can can do the right thing more frequently and steer away from trouble without kill, killing developer productivity. There we go. Yeah, developers, um, obviously, uh, you know, as, as we're going to discuss, time is precious. We got to make sure we, we direct them in the right ways. But I guess to start off, let's, let's make sure everyone knows who you are. Um, so two things I always like to understand is, you know, who you work for and then what your responsibilities are, and then we'll dive right in. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I have the distinct pleasure of having been at Instacart for almost a year and a half. And, and during that time, um, I've worn several hats. I, I ran the security function for about six months, uh, reporting up to infrastructure engineering. And now for the second half of my career, I've also been, or my time at Instacart, I should say, uh, I've been building a governance risk and compliance function focused on security within infrastructure engineering. And some people will find that a, a strange combination, but for me, it's perfect because it allows me to bring all the different uh, skills and experience I've, I've had over my career into a single role, and I'm having a blast. But um, Instacart, as uh, probably a lot of you know, is uh, famous for having been uh, a lot of people's lifeline during the pandemic. Uh, I certainly was a customer before I was an employee, and um, as the single dad of two small kids, it was a, a lifeline for me to be able to keep things up and running during the pandemic. And I think a lot of people had that same experience. But on the, on the inside, that certainly means it was a time of tremendous growth uh, during Instacart's uh, shift from being a, a high-performing startup to being a hyper-growth company. That's a fascinating time to be at any, any company. And I, I really enjoyed the process of um, being able to roll up my sleeves and, and dive right into uh, the nuts and bolts of how do we keep this these systems compliant? How do we meet the our obligations under the law? How do we help our both our, our customers, our end user customers, and our retailer customers understand what we're doing to secure and keep their data safe? Absolutely. And I guess we're going to dive in the topic, but you but you mentioned something and it just popped into my head. I want to want to ask the question: Is as you saw that you know increase in adoption of Instacart? I mean. Heck, we everyone used it. I mean, I used it. I think everyone <laughs> I possibly know used it at some point. And uh, when, when you're there and you're watching the growth, and obviously you're there for uh, specific security risk compliance components, did you see the growing changes? And hey, man, I got to deal with a certain new problem because we're not just growth anymore. We got to operate at an efficient scale. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the piece for me that's most interesting is. You can solve a lot of problems in compliance and and security pretty well uh, with a small team if you're dealing with a small scale. 
And as much as I dislike, uh, you know, running a, a checkbox audit compliance program run on spreadsheets, I, I acknowledge that for some small companies, that's the right thing to do at the right time. But that doesn't scale. And I think one of the lessons I learned by building uh, the governance risk and compliance function at Yahoo uh, about 10 years ago, uh, reporting into production engineering was engineers are often the ones who, <laughs> where the buck stops in terms of that burden for compliance. And it's not even necessarily on developers, although they certainly feel the pinch as well. Often SREs, DevOps, infrastructure folks, your cloud security teams, anyone involved with access management, change management, keeping the keys to the kingdom safe, secret management, vulnerability management. If you create processes that are simply an outreach of what you've done in the past, you're missing an opportunity to really have that kind of punctuated evolution to the next level. And for me, that comes down to, to tools and systems and frameworks. If you don't have the right tools, and by, that could mean uh, work systems, right? That could be integration into how are engineering uh, folks thinking of their work? How are they prioritizing work? If I have a completely separate system that's telling you what you need to do, and it's not integrated with JIRA, let's say, or whatever primary work system you're using to track work, we're setting ourselves up for failure. But also, if we're not setting the bar a little higher than we did last year or last quarter in terms of what should we expect and how do we expect to get the early warning when something's going wrong. Again, we're setting ourselves up for a bad situation by walking into an audit and then finding out that we we didn't really do what we said we were going to do. And maybe talk about some of the, you know, the, the, the unnecessary burden, some of the overhead that you're mentioning. What are, what are some of those things? I remember a time, um, and this was a few years ago, so I hope that I like to think the industry has evolved. But I remember a time where I was talking to an auditor and they were complaining about having to pull a, uh, a population of all the changes we've made over a certain amount of time. And they said, you know, it would be a lot easier to do this if you just didn't make so many changes every day. <laughs> I realized, my gosh, we're at such a, a loggerheads here in terms of two different perspectives. And I think. The business of doing business in technology is just accelerating every year. And I love to work on sort of the bleeding edge of hardening Kubernetes and building the orchestration platforms we need to run the business, but also getting double credit out of those same tools for compliance purposes. And, and maybe I think that that speaks to my core philosophy. If you're building a compliance program that has nothing to do with what engineers see as their day job, it's doomed to failure. If you're setting up a whole bunch of scripts that you have to remind people to run or to check a separate dashboard or et cetera, and it's not tightly integrated into both their work systems to manage work and the tools that they use for observability and instrumentation on a daily basis, you're asking them to basically run a second shadow job. And as we know, engineering's uh, tough enough as it is. You're dealing with large-scale thorny problems and in most hypergrowth companies, there's a lot of pressure to be able to ship at speed. So my philosophy is don't taste compliance just for compliance sake. What I like to think about is, and I think where I can help companies the most in that, that hypergrowth phase, is shifting away from the idea that, you know, we, we've got to get our SOC to, to enable sales. That is absolutely right. And that's the right business objective. But 
you can't treat it as a, a, a series of small projects that just happen to recur over and over. So what I like to do is shift away from the idea of we compliance as the end goal. And I think if we build good internal standards and we build the right kind of systems and, and tools that guide people in the right direction toward the behavior we want to encourage, can you still break glass and make emergency changes in production if you need to? Absolutely. I'm not here to get in the way of business. But if we say there's a way we'd like to do things and there's a way that's messy and noisy and loud and we'll do it if we have to, but we think there's a better path forward. So I like to say, let's not chase compliance. Let's really focus on assurance. And I guess, you know, diving into the you know assurance component, uh, obviously, I, I like what you mentioned, don't treat it as a series of checkboxes, but rather than the goal. So when you're now shifting your focus and you're, and you're making assurance your main focus because you get compliance for free, as, as you mentioned, how do you reframe that? Because obviously that might make sense to people on the security risk side, but you got to make sure the engineering team understands what you're trying to drive them towards. How do you, how do you have that conversation? Exactly. I, well, again, I, I think that finding the commonalities, I, I see risk as the common language between security and compliance. So I may understand that there's a certain risk that, and we need to produce evidence in a certain way, and that will satisfy our auditors. But I don't expect anyone else to care. <laughs> what I need to do is I need to use risk as a way to talk about the risks that we're facing as a company and how do we want to approach them. If I say to folks, hey, you need to make sure you include the SQL query for your quarterly user access reviews. I, I mean, you're probably halfway asleep as I got halfway through that sentence. But if I talk about, hey, we don't, we want to practice the principle of least privilege. And we want to ensure that anytime uh, privileges get escalated in an, a way that we don't consider a beneficial way, we want that in front of human eyes as quickly as possible. So I think by focusing on operational hygiene and focusing on the security risks or the business risks of the company, you're bringing the engineers into that problem-solving process. I can tell you here, go here, do this, close this port, take a screenshot and send it back to me, but it doesn't answer the why. Why am I doing this? And you might have good luck for a quarter or two, maybe a year, but eventually someone's going to change roles or leave the company or whatever, and you're at the risk of those things not continuing. So let's talk about the risks to the company. Let's build some internal standards and let's try to align compliance as code. Let's find a way to build our CD pipeline such that it has the checks and balances that I, I want to be in place to, to keep our data safe and secure. And going back to it, you want that integrated into the systems they're already working on, because then it only falls slipstream into what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> Absolutely. If I said, yeah, our CD pipeline is, is XYZ and you know, here's Jenkins and here's the, all the other pieces, but for any change that's relevant to um, that might have an impact on our financial statements, use this separate CD pipeline. Do you think anyone would actually do that? No, that sounds ridiculous. And yet, that's the way we treat a lot of compliance. We say, we understand you engineers have a certain way of doing things, but you have to do this as well. And I think that's a false dichotomy. I think if you, you bring those risks to the engineers, you're dealing with a, a collection of really smart people who are at the top of their game at solving complicated problems in a systematic way. 
isn't that a much, that's a much better solution. No matter how much I'm an engineer and I've worked in this space for a long time, the people who are actually hands-on keyboard with those tools, those systems, that having those conversations with product and even customers on a daily basis, they know how to build the best controls, we'd call them, but I'd say the best practices within those tools and workflows. And, and I guess within the context of shifting left, certainly sounds like you you want some of this stuff to go left to a certain degree, um, not maybe completely, but what are your views when we're talking about shifting left? And I know that there's some challenges in it and you're talking about, you know, somebody on the, the SRE team, the DevOps team, having these tools tightly integrated. We're asking them to not have to really do anything different. So are, are they shifting left or are they just basically saying, do your job, it's all taken <laughs> care of? That's a real risk. I don't get me wrong. I really support the move and, and the message behind shift left, which if to encapsulate it is let's capture those decision points made by humans closest to the point of origin. And that's laudable. Absolutely. I think there are points where we expect that engineers have made a decision in a vacuum, and that's not true. It's, it's a combination of the, the, the interplay between product and engineering and TPMs, etc. So there is a value in capturing those decisions, and that's the shifting left piece. But I think it, it doesn't tell the whole story, right? And if you just focus on writing policies or implementing certain checks in your PRD templates or things like that, I don't want to demean those activities. Those are valuable. But what about where the rubber hits the road? And I think that's the right side of the equation. So I really take an approach of shifting left. But to be frank, I have had the most success because of my own background as an engineer, uh, working mostly in the networking infra system space. I've had the most success embedding myself in engineering teams. And, and of course, that's the model here. And I've done that at, at several companies where I report up into production engineering, infrastructure engineering, et cetera, because those are the peers that I need to have the deep conversations with about how do we restrict permissive emergency changes? How do we start over time chipping down the number of direct production changes that happen? That's a conversation that you're not really going to have too much on the left side of the house other than to say, we need better integration tests, we need to enforce that behavior, et cetera. But that enforcement piece, that's on the right side, isn't it? So I think there's there's value in really having those deep conversations with your, your cloud security team, your platform and storage teams, your developer experience teams. And they're the, the people who are most directly supporting your engineering function. And they will tell you what will work in this environment and what won't. And that's an interesting perspective because uh, obviously it's, you know, from a lot of people shifting left is the goal. Um, and, and I'm not sure, you know, sometimes when I listen to that, it's, you know, I know security has the, you know, the stigma or, you know, the stereotype of being the no police, the gatekeepers and wanting to shift left is to, to, to have more influence and, and not just be the end bottleneck of no, uh, they want to catch stuff before I get that. But I guess, you know, you mentioned where product and engineering, you know, converge is, is where the rubber meets the road. So when you're kind of looking at companies that are trying to shift left, if you were to look at that and go, and I, and I know a couple of the, you know, the reasons that, that you pointed out, if you don't have the, the technical engineering depth, right, to potentially go back right and have the conversation, 
how do you handle that? Or, or what, what is that something you could handle? Or is it just the fact that security is converging with engineering, the complexity is just there and that, and, and you just need an upskilling of, of certain roles? That's interesting. Well, I, I do think there is value in ensuring you are hiring, uh, if not folks who have a direct engineering background, people who are, are very, you know, cloud first and engineering savvy. And I don't just mean that they need to understand how to harden containers. I mean, they need to understand how engineering works. There's a radically different view of how do we do work? What is the purpose of that work uh, between uh, IT organizations, which I think is a lot of, especially auditors, but some compliance people, when they think of technology, they think of IT or business technology today. And that's that's really different from a product engineering organization. There are different pressures. The pressure to ship it, to ship the product, to meet our quarterly objectives and things like that is, is very high. And it's a little different time frame. There's, there's a little less focus on system implementation and things like that. But to get back to your point directly, I think the the value in shifting left is to build those guided paths, right? The more on the left side of the house, you have those conversations about why, and you explain the desired outcome of standards you're setting or measurements you're taking, that's the opportunity. That's where you really take advantage of the shifting left to get the right level of support for those engagements. But then how do you know? Right. And that's the core of assurance. We said we did something. Did we? How do we know? How do we measure our level of success? How do we just understand where to prioritize to get it a little better next time? And I think that's where shifting right a little bit and really drilling into the nuts and bolts of what is the developer's experience? Why are they making so many direct changes to production? What is the you know, and no one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to do a, a bad job and make a lot of work for other people. But I, there's there's a reason that people are making those changes. If your developers are making a ton of changes directly to production, they're trying to get work done. What are the tools that they don't have to get that work done? Is there a, a menu of options that they should have it, it, rather than having to log in directly to the console and, and run that same command 10 times per day? So the more you understand the actual experience of developers working in your systems, developers are smart people and they will find ways to route around problems. So work with them to understand their experience and build the controls and the tools you want them to to see as the guiding road towards better behavior. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think I think a, you know, a couple of points you make in there, especially going back to your, you know, not making compliance a series of checkboxes. If you treat it as a series of checkboxes, then when you have an engineer who's intelligent and is trying to get through a problem, they'll view it as, well, this is a checkbox. I can go right around it. It's it's almost like the speed limit. Uh, it's a guy, you know, well, how far around it am I going to go? Well, when the police pull you over, you went too far. But until then, you're you're not going to go, you know, 65 on a freeway uh, to the dot. So I think it's interesting that what you're talking about is if from a cultural perspective, they understand that the end goal will result in better quality code, less issues down the road. When they come to that roadblock, maybe they don't decide to go around that as where they, I don't want to say cut the corner, but save time. And I, don't, I mean, I guess we could use different words there, but, but, but I guess that's an interesting, you know, decision that they have to make. And, and if they are, they don't know, they, they might make that decision, sacrifice that one. 
Absolutely. And I'd love to go back to what you mentioned about security and compliance having a reputation of being the department of no, or as I like to call it, the department of profit prevention. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, I, I wish it weren't a well-deserved appellation, but uh, you know, there's a reason that people have felt that way based on prior experiences. So one analogy I like to use here is at a certain point in time, you know, about 100 years ago or so, uh, automobiles didn't go very fast because they had to be able to slow down as necessary. But at a certain point, we realized that by introducing brakes to cars, it gave us the ability to have a control for that risk. If you're going too fast and you're coming up on a corner and you need to stop suddenly, you can press the brake. And that gives you the ability to go faster when you want to, but without hurtling blindly towards oblivion and not having some sort of control to mitigate the risk of what if a, a child runs in front of the car. So I think that's a good analogy for the way we should talk about risk and we should implement controls that make sense to let us, if nothing else, define the areas where we need more control because in doing so, you're also defining the areas where it's a sandbox and we can play a little more freely. That's a great analogy. I think I think that that actually puts puts it in focus quite a bit. Um, I actually hadn't thought about that exact. You know, I, I guess the great great use of uh, needing the brakes to actually go faster. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that. I, I guess when you're looking at you know six, you know the risk function in general, and and I know you know you're you're heavily you know within a a product uh, driven org, but if you were to Imagine you know the broader you know community, and let's say not everyone has to ship as quickly, and and obviously maybe they have different paces and different you know you know capabilities. When you want to actually potentially go through and have the conversations and 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 help bring that to light, how do you want to go about doing that? Right? Let's say you don't have the most technical you know, you know users, or you don't have the you know the necessary tools, but yet you have to get that you know, having the brakes analogy through to the audience. Do you prefer lunch and learns? Do you prefer, you know, spending time individually? How do you actually help that culture shift happen? I, I think I'm fortunate in that I've spent a lot of time um, either working directly in or, or very closely with security organizations. And I think good security organizations have solved this problem. And that comes down to having champions. The idea of security champions or or uh, engineers doing uh, a quarter cycle through the security organization or something like that, I think we've we've got a good fifteen years, twenty years of that being established as a a pretty good benevolent, not very top heavy way to increase the security of your overall uh, organization. And frankly, I use a <laughs> I steal a page from that playbook, and I find the folks when I have those conversations, and they might start to your point with like a lunch and learn or office hours or hey, I'm going to do a a presentation on why you know compliance is important or what have you. You you can usually find the people who are interested in the problems that you're you're presenting to them, maybe out of a, a, a little bit of game theory approach of, hmm, how can I subvert this control and get the work I need done? And, and frankly, I don't care if someone is a strong supporter and that's why they're interested or they're looking for a way to you know get around the checkbox. Either of those is a level of interest that I will take advantage of and I will have a conversation with those folks that's very risk-based. Here's why we're doing this. Here's what we're trying to prevent. Can we agree at the highest level that that's something we don't want to happen? We don't want someone to 
steal a penny of every transaction that goes through our systems. Can we agree on that? Okay. And as long as we can agree at that level, what about one level down? Can we agree that we want sort of we want areas to play, but we also want areas that are more tightly controlled? For me, that could be there are certain functions that we don't want to change over time. The the range of variables we might want to change, but let's say we want to do a credit check for every customer uh, for every order over five thousand dollars. Well, as we grow, that is probably going to change from $5,000 to $10,000, but the core function hasn't changed. So can we separate that function out from our mono repo and lock it down into something that we're going to more tightly control? Again, so that by more tightly controlling this piece, I've given people permission to play a little bit more freely in those other places. And I know that, you know, I, I kind of, the security champion is, is the concept that is the most common. And, and I guess I'm... You know, I come from the data world. Um, I, I really enjoy security. I think it's fascinating. I think it's one of the most interesting areas I've I've had uh, the luxury of you know, being able to interview people for. And the one thing that I always kind of get stuck on is, you know, in other areas of technology, other pillars, there's the, not necessarily a champion. You know, within data, I don't data. I don't necessarily know that there's necessarily a data champion. Or within software engineering, you know, you might have you know different people that are you know at developer advocates or you know data science citizens, that kind of stuff, but we don't really have like a champion. Security does. And I guess what's interesting to me is when I think back to the, this this concept of, oh, they're not the police, for some reason, I dotted line back to the old concept of neighborhood patrols. <laughs> and And it's like, well... We don't want to be the police, but guess what? We have <laughs> an unofficial neighborhood patrol. And, and I find it interesting how that dotted line, while we've we use the term champion is kind of still rooted back in that trying to shift that view. And I still, I just, you know, from the outside, I understand why, why that term exists. I understand the need to promote it, but it's just interesting that that little comes through when I hear this. Uh, and, and, and I, and I'm not sure I've, I've ever understood the origins of it. I'm sure I can Google it and get there, but, but that's what I kind of always draw analogies to. Yeah. I think it's inherent in the nature of the fact that, security will always be a percentage, probably a single digit percentage of your engineering organization. And there's a reason that we're called often the second line of defense. We can't be everywhere. We can't have, we're not looking over everyone's shoulder. There's just not, we're not staffed to that level. What we can do is we can set up systems and we can set up frameworks and we can find ways to get as many feelers as possible. So I think the champions are an offshoot of the ability to, well, just trying to do more with less. Yeah, spread spread. I, I think that's that's that's. I think where um, you know, I, I don't know if they, I'm not going to come up with a new term for it, uh, but I think that's really interesting. What you just said is, it's it's really being able to do more with less and empower somebody else to be like, hey, you know, if you see a door unlocked, lock it. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> otherwise I can't see every door. You know, if I miss locking the door, it'd be nice if you kind of say, hey, by the way, door's not locked here. Should I lock it? Well, yeah, state approach nature is we lock all the doors. So please go ahead and do that. So I think it's interesting. You're 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 really looking for that support of getting those, you know, you being able to multiply your power and your, you know, what what your understanding is so that other people can actually be mini versions of of what you need them to be. Absolutely. And there's one phrase I learned. I had a delightful year before I joined Instacart at uh, working at Netflix. And there was a phrase at Netflix that I, I just loved. And I'd always been struggling to find a way to say this. And I, I found the, the best, pithiest way to get it across. Ultimately, our job in, in security 
is to be the second line of defense. And that means we provide context, not control. I'm, I'm not your boss. I can't directly tell you what to do. You should listen to the chain of command that's telling you to do whatever you need to do to ship the product or et cetera. But I can give you the context for what's going to happen when you make certain decisions. That's pretty good, actually. I actually think that's a, that's a really succinct way of putting it. Um, I'm going to have to remember that. I jotted it down and I'm going to use that down the road. Um, Terry, thanks for being on. I mean, I think I could probably have have questions until uh, the next hour, but I know you're busy. You got to get back to it. But I appreciate you uh, being on and um, chatting with us. If you could have a future guest cover a specific topic or, or an area of discussion, do you have something that you'd be interested in hearing? Gosh, I would love to hear more about the future of identity from folks who are, who are struggling with that challenge across um, you know, multi-cloud environments and, and things like that. I think there are a lot of interesting technological solutions, but tools aren't everything. There's also a philosophical approach about this, and I'd love to hear more about that from the experts. Awesome. That's a great topic. Uh, if, if you're listening out there and this is your your jam, reach out to me. I'd love to have you on. Uh, and if somebody wants to you know, get a hold of you, what's a good way of doing that? Is LinkedIn, Twitter, do you have a preferred way of somebody reaching out? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Uh, you can find me at Terry O'Daniel, or you can just go to terryodaniel.com, no apostrophe, and uh, you can find me there. I, I often post blog posts and I, I link other um, places where I've spoken or I'm doing upcoming speaking engagements. So I, I delight in talking with anyone who comes to this space from uh, the engineering security or just a, a, a dilettante kind of perspective, because I, I love to hear how we can bring all these threads together. Thank you so much for having me, Amr. Absolutely. Thanks for being on, Terry. That's it for this episode. We'll include all those links in uh, the show notes. So if anyone doesn't want to reach out to Terry, feel free to do so. Uh, we'll be back again, different guests, different topic. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast episode, please share it. That's how we grow. And I love the fact that it's all organic. And if you do uh, know someone or you yourself can speak to uh, identity within multi-cloud environments, and I like the, the fact that Terry mentioned tools aren't everything, reach out. I'd love to have you on the show. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.